Arteta! What a strike! Our Arsenal Baku. We've got our Arsenal Baku. We've got our Arsenal Baku. We've got our Arsenal Baku. This is the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner, and I am an idiot. But we have got our Arsenal Baku because we are going to Baku. We are Baku a final. We could be Baku the Champions League. You never know. All this and more in this edition of the Arsenal Vision Post Match Podcast. Uh, uh, Paul is here. You can find him on Twitter at Pause My Pants. Hello, Pause. We have created a monster on this podcast. Yeah, and the monster is your internet connection. And Clive, you can find him on Twitter at Clive PAFC. Hello, Clive. Hello, hello. Hello, indeed. Yeah, we've got lots of good stuff. I did a little instant reaction pod on Patreon. Tim, uh, from a very, very crowded and loud train station, did a, a podcast for Patreon for uh, uh, talking about Edu as a potential technical director, and it's filled with really interesting insight about Brazilian football amid the din of a noisy Alicante uh, train station. So it's all very atmospheric, and you will love that. Uh, and we love you if you've joined. But if you have not, we love you too. Um, we are so thrilled to be able to discuss the football being good and will in no way at all touch on the football that was bad because, as you know, some of the football was bad. But we are not talking about the football that was bad. We are only talking about the football that was good. And I feel for Spurs because, you know, they finally get to a cup final, and in the year they get to a cup final... Arsenal go to a cup final and we actually have the potential to be champions of Europa and they have never been champions of Europa. So I feel bad for them, but you know, they're forever in our shadow and that's just how that works. Clive, uh, really good starting 11. Um, really the best starting 11 he can put out there at this point. There probably isn't another one. We can debate whether there's a back four lineup that's better than the back three lineup, but with Mustafi out of the lineup, you automatically say, I like it. I like where this is going, but really the key is that the two Good players left at Arsenal. Lacazette and Aubameyang were on the pitch. Didn't start great, though. Did not start great, so let's start there because we are very comfortable talking about the bad part of football, and we have to wean ourselves towards talking about the good part of football. Um, We were very, very, very open very, very early. I thought we were in deep shit. The first goal, uh, Nacho looked slow. Czech looked slow. We were wide open. They were really killing us in the spaces between our wing backs and our wide center backs. Um, that's been an issue for us a lot when we played the back three, and it was a huge issue at the start of this game, much like it was at the start of the, the home leg. How worried were you those first 15 minutes or so, and what do you think was specifically wrong with how we were playing? I think um, we lacked a bit of pressure on the ball high up in the first part of the game. I think we were focused on the front three and trying to get them playing. Um, but when you play a back three, you, you, one of the things that people forget, especially when you play two strikers, is you've got to get pressure on the ball. You've got to press the ball. You've got to press them. So don't have chance to switch play diagonals into those spaces that we got switched on. It's very important and people forget it. And uh, I think it's why Emery liked Ramsey in that 10 role because I think he adds to the, the pressing and the disruption and the, you make people think about their passing. Whereas I think Ozil thinks about getting on the ball. And so the pressing side doesn't come naturally to him. It's not a criticism of him. It's just who he is. We all know that. He's 30 years of age. No, he's not going to change. right? So we need to impose ourselves on them. We had a bit of a lead. So maybe we felt, let's just wait till the ball to drop and then we'll we'll go on the counter and, and make them different, so step back that way. But Valencia were quite aggressive. They switched playing to Maitland Ozil's side in particular. And we were all watching it, weren't we, on the screen, thinking there's a big gap over there. What's going to happen, you know? So I think our two strikers were much narrower at the start, and Ozil was quite narrow. So you can throw a handkerchief over the three of them. And I just think it, it left Torreira and Xhaka a lot of space to cover, and they did not look like they were focused on covering space laterally. They were more focused on covering space straight up and down the middle. So... um it did leave us a bit exposed in those areas, and I did feel with with both our wing backs, it was quite interesting actually. Elliot. I don't know if you call it on your TV feed, but I rarely catch as, anything. To be fair, <laughs> as it as the cameras went across the players before the game, you sort of you sort of flash to Torreira, and you see his face, and he's thinking, "Yeah, I'm up for this." He couldn't wait for this game. It just flashed across to Maitland Niles, and my gut just went, "Oh, he looks a bit nervous." And I think he has a tendency to start a game 
within himself and then eventually physically grow into the game. And it's not the first time we've seen that. And some of the start was down to him and a little bit of lack of sharpness to go and press the space. And some of the start was down to the fact that we did not drop in enough in centre midfield. We didn't spread in centre midfield enough. We didn't travel as the ball travelled on those diagonals. That's what you do with the back three. Your midfield travels as the ball's travelling. You get over there, you double up. I felt we were a little bit a little bit slow in doing that on both sides. And I do feel very strongly that both our wing backs, they are very temperamental. They either fantastic or they're not so good. They're almost almost not ready to play sometimes. You, you can spot these games with Clash and it coming up when he just doesn't look ready. Like doesn't like he's gonna finish the game. Something's always wrong with him, but yet he has the ability they both have to be absolutely decisive when the moment comes so and that's why we play them and if we're looking going forward we need more in those areas because we're so reliant on them they're such energetic positions that require a lot of physicality and i think we underestimate the mileage they cover how they cover it how many one-on-ones they have to have both ways and they make this formation work and they allow us to have two strikers on the pitch and sometimes they're the unsung hero but we focus on them because they are at the end point when something needs to go right, right? So um, either defensively or offensively. And I use this formation myself. And in, in our end-of-season sort of presentation, do I mention the wing-backs in this, in this vein because I feel they're absolutely critical to this formation. And, and on the day, I felt both of them were until we had the results secured. Yeah, and you know, the interesting thing is you mentioned Torreira, by the way, and I just think it's worth mentioning. I don't think he was particularly good. Um, you know, he completed 15 passes in this game and had one tackle, one successful tackle. Um, I think he's going through a bit of a rough patch right now. I, I think when he gets forward, he's bypassed too easily. He's, he's being deployed a little more, um, up a little further up the pitch and he doesn't look comfortable. It reminds me a little bit of, of something that Coughlin went through where Arsene Wenger pushed Coughlin a little further up the pitch and he didn't have the recovery pace or the, the athleticism to get back to, to break up attacks where he wanted to am, be. Am I, am I allowed to disagree with that? Or should Please, I yeah. No, 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 no. Don't disagree because, <laughs> honestly, I, I think Torreira is in a period right now where he's drifting a little. I'm not saying he's bad. I just don't yeah. I don't think... he Defensively, he is not he is not having the defensive impact. He looks a little leggy trying to chase, chase back to goal, but he's not a, a super progressive passer. For me, he's just sort of struggling right now to really influence games. Tell me why I'm wrong. I love to hear that part. You're not wrong. I, I, I just, I, I look at it slightly differently. I think you deal in, you deal in absolutes, right? So you'll always you'll look at something <laughs> and, you, and you'll see a player and then you'll say, okay, let me go and look at those numbers. Okay. Those numbers are not as good as previous numbers, but I, I look at things slightly differently. So every game has its story. So in this game, I look at that midfield two stroke three as key. They got Shaka, who looks not the most mobile Shaka we've ever seen at the moment. You have Urzil that plays in his own way. He's regardless of the traffic jams all around him, he's looking for his moment to influence the game, and that sometimes takes him time. Then you have the one constant, the one guy that can actually move, sprint, quite energetic, quite metronomic. Now he's thinking, okay, I've got a big space to cover here. I can't overly commit into collisions. I've got to now just look to intercept and block off passing lanes and recover into other people's holes because they're not going to get there. I've got to actually go past them to try and block off that lane down that side. So he was doing, in my view, your your number. I won't question, ever question your numbers, Elliot. But they're the only the thing balance. I say that can be confirmed as accurate. <laughs> <laughs> but if you look at the balance in that midfield, actually tweeted out. We almost play, you know, we play risky football. We have three people in midfield, semi-final of a European Cup, away from home, and I'm looking at our midfield three. Two can't run, and one's five foot three. You see what I mean? And I'm looking around thinking, wow, we take risks. Um, and, we, you know, as we elevate this team, we have to think about the risks we take in certain parts of the pitch to dominate and control games because that is... That doesn't have a long-term future, that three. It really doesn't. No, of course not. <laughs> but but, but the, one, the one player that does have a long-term future that will only get better when he's surrounded by better players 
was also involved in the killer goal with um, Lacazette, where he pinched the ball, fizzed it into Lacazette's feet, and showed a side of his game that Tim alluded to in the last podcast around his passing side. There's one player that does have a future on midfield, and that's Torreira. I, I totally agree. I, I want to be clear about something. I think the sky's the limit for this guy, and he's been good a lot of the season. He's young. He's 22. It's a long season, and I think the issue is I don't like... You're right. He's limping. He's limping towards his finish. Yeah. You're absolutely right. And, and by the way, look, it's, it's a matter of opinion. I think Torreira could be the deepest in our midfield. But that's Shaka's role, and when they play as a two in the in the with the back three, especially when we press, they both pinch up. The thing about Torreira is he's a really good stand up tackler. He's 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 good going to ground also, and he's he's clever and he reads the game. But he's not a speedster. He's not Bellerin, who's going to chase back and make the tackle when it looked lost. So I just think he's sort of learning to cope with his positioning on the pitch because I, ideally we want him there to be metronomic, like you said, but also to be the guy who can shield a, a, a leaky back line and, and defend it, and he's not in position to do that right now. Well, let's move on from that. That's uh, we, can, we can get into that more down the road, but I love the player, and I love the upside of the player especially. Um, so, Paul, you know, this is an interesting game, right, because we, we had very little control of it throughout. I thought Ozil was totally anonymous for that first period where they scored, and then they could have scored again. They had a shot go off their own guy, kind of clear, clear ball that looked like maybe it was going in. And then Aubameyang takes things into his own hands. This is the best game Aubameyang has had as an Arsenal player, probably. Um, he had a pretty good one against Spurs at home as well, we should remember. But th- this was an all-around game, and it's kind of been coming. He's been waking up. And it's not just the goals. It's the pressing, the recovery of the ball, the holding the ball. He was better in wide spaces, beating players off the dribble. He could have had a couple of assists in this game. He was the one who created the turnover to get Lacazette his goal. And the first goal is an absolute thing of beauty. Technically flawless. Gets his head over his foot and shapes it right into the, the out, off the outside of his foot. It's just an, a clever, brilliant finish from, from the edge of the box. I, I guess instead of asking a question, let me just have you give your uh, lend, lend your poetry and, and weigh with words to the performance of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. They were feckin' great. Yeah. Um, so, because I think Aubameyang, uh, this is probably his best game for us. Maybe it was a little bit because he got to, you know, Val- Valencia allowed us to play a, at some point in the game. Um, there, there was the space for us to go at them. But regardless, it was probably his best game. Uh, a couple of his best goals. Uh, but it was also the best Aubameyang-Lacazette game. I mean, I haven't always been convinced that they knew how to play together, but they're changing my mind lately for obvious reasons, that they're really finding a groove. I mean, it's great that they like each other and they, they like the idea of playing together. I didn't always feel that they actually enjoyed the dynamic of playing together. And now they just have it. They have a groove. And... uh I, th- I think you put this game down as a signature game for that partnership. I mean, they were just delicious. Um, what what you sense with Aubameyang was that he was really up for this encounter, a semi-final in the European Cup. And uh, I mean, he just, I mean, he took us into this game. He grabbed hold of it and, and drove us forward. And when you have, you know, we saw in a couple of other matches in this Europe, in this European week teams that believe and when you have Aubameyang and Lacazette up front and they look like they can do something with every ball the team around them starts to see a way out even when they're under the cosh they're they're thinking hang on just string a couple of passes together and set these guys off and it doesn't really matter whether we're doing great or terrible as long as we're not conceding we conceded a little bit um but we conceded one and then the boy we sprung the boys and off they went yeah. And so you always have a chance, even when the play isn't against you. And maybe back in the day with Arson and more of a possession type game, if it's not going your way, that's a really bad sign. Whereas currently, if we can just bring these boys, uh, they'll do something deadly with it. So I, 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 I love the crap out of Aubameyang and Lacazette in terms of just how they find space and how they play off each other at the moment. Yeah, and you know, you look at all of these semifinal ties and you see how important being able to score goals. I mean, that's so 
obvious Jesus, Elliot, but how, how important it is to have players that can change games in the attacking third. Individual because, contributions yes, yes. as well. Yeah, that, that's exactly my point. Because uh, like, I mean, fuck whether you deserved it or whether it's against the run of play. When you have, that's the point of having worldies. And, you know, you, you can well, debate it's, it's, just how... Yeah. It's what Messi did to Liverpool in the first leg, right? I mean, yeah. the only reason Liverpool weren't even in a better position is because Messi was just too good for them. Um, yeah, and the only reason they won the second leg was because Messi and co, you know, nobody had a worldly moment. They hit a post. They came close a bunch of times. I mean, the, there's a lot of luck in every game, but there's also the individual contribution. Yeah, and... and- and our boys have it at the moment. Yeah, and look, I mean, Valencia outshot us and out XG'd us for the for the two legs, and we won seven to three because we have two extraordinary strikers who scored seven goals. Um, yeah, you, you care if it's a league campaign, right? That yeah. shit's going to catch you. But in a in a cup competition, you individual contributions great. You're you're going to need some of them in the final, and you're going to need a couple of worldies. Um, and those guys are there, there, thereabouts at the moment. Yeah, I mean, because the difference is if you want a 10-game run where you're unbeaten in the league, but your XG is terrible, it tells you that you're not playing well and it may come back to bite you, and it often does. If you go through to the final play, playing poorly, what do you care? You're in the final. You're one game away from winning the tournament. Um, so, yeah, it's great. And, I mean, the, here's what I think is interesting. You can point to XG all you want. The fact is Valencia had roughly a 2 XG. They got almost one of it from their first goal, which was basically point-blank, and almost two of it from their second goal was basically point-blank. Other than that, they created nothing. And incredibly and importantly, from the period where we scored to make it 1-1 to the period where we made it 2-1, they had almost nothing in attack. We out-XG'd them during that period. What that tells you is, during the period where it still felt in the balance, we were the better team. So they were hurting us, then we got equal, then we were the better team. By the time we made it 2-1, I think the tie was kind of dead, and and then the game changed a little, and you have score effects and all that. Um, and that was a period, Clive, where we should touch on something quickly. I thought Ozil had a terrible first 15 minutes. And then we got the goal from Aubameyang, and then he started pulling strings, and was really important in us calming the game down, slowing it down, holding the ball, creating little opportunities, little shots here and there that he was creating. Um that period between our first goal and our second goal was where the tie was decided. And I thought that was his period of, of greatest influence. Do you think it's fair to say he started poorly but was important when it mattered? Up to a point, yeah. I'm, I'm having a bit of a debate with myself at the moment about, about statistics, uh, about their meaning. Um, because I watched that game as nervous as anybody watching that game. So I will contextualize these comments based on the fact that I was scared beyond belief, right? So, and when you're watching a game like that, you tend to look for almost everything that's not quite right. And and I'm looking around at those front two who decided after the game of the weekend against Brighton, they decided no more sad faces, we're going to take control of this. And they started working and we had to, we had to probably make the null, so we dropped... Abamyang into that space. I'm thinking, don't do that. Don't don't take your most dangerous player and play him so wide. Why don't we just push Urzel out there or or get Urzel to split between um Shaka and Torreira and just cover the pitch that way. But we seem to move Abamyang wide, keep Urzel high and move Lacazette slightly more to the left so they're rotating into the centre. I'm looking at this game thinking, okay, I know how you want to play. I know you're looking for the spaces where everyone else isn't. This team needs you today. It needs you to work. It needs you to press because we're getting picked off. We need you to press the game. Don't play your game. Play the game the team requires. And I was really on the edge of saying silly things online. Do you know what I mean? And, um, See, I find and- it's best to get off that edge and just say them. That never backfires. <laughs> like edge. my tweet that said, we're going to lose this 7-0 after we went 1-0 down, like didn't backfire on me at all. Because then you could just claim it was all a ruse to get a performance out of the team. Yeah, I, I hate criticizing individuals, as you know. But I'm looking at this, Same. and I'm thinking, I'm thinking, oh, come on now, we need something for you. This is it. And I felt he got into the game a little bit. But what I'm starting to see, and tell me if I'm right here, I'm starting to see a team that used to revolve around him, where he used to be the oil in the engine. Now, when the ball goes to him, the car starts to stutter a little bit. It's almost as though he's playing a game we no longer play. Right. It doesn't mean he hasn't got the 
the most final entry passes. It doesn't mean that his pass completion rate was an X. I, I know the numbers. I read them. I know what happened. I know his, his, his kilometers covered, all the rest of it. My eyes are telling me his influence is waning on this group. And the, and the reason why we, we're purring about the front two wasn't, wasn't just the goals. It was their ball retention, attacking fullbacks in wide areas, their defensive work, their execution, to play close, to play split, to drop in. I mean, they influenced the game in all aspects. Now, I'm not saying they will have to do that every single week because the front two don't do that every single week. But when I watch them, I believe they try to do that every single week. And I think the team wants to play at a higher intensity level. And I, I know I joked earlier on about the midfield three. I, I do feel you can only afford to carry one jogger. And it we can't carry two. Right? So, because the game is moving beyond that now. We've seen what Liverpool and City have done. We've seen what even Tottenham did using sprinters in moving the pitch. You need to have athletic ability to really impose yourself on people to make sure you can go with the fluctuations of the game. You know, when the temperature rises and the pace increases, we need to go with that, and, and we can't. And so it's not a criticism of him. I just feel the team has developed away from him, and it will it will develop away from others So that, you because know, we need to play a higher level in higher intensity game. And that's what that's where the game is going. That's why we've got four teams from the Premier League in the European finals, because we are able to sustain a level of technique and physicality for longer than the European opposition. And we are able to put the ball in their net at an efficiency rate which is higher and create multiple chances and create pressure. And, and that's what's happening. And we need to get, you know, we've got to find 20, 30 points, get to the top table again. And to do that, we need to have much greater athletics in the pitch, which is going to help us secure it at our back door. And that's where I thought we struggled in this game. And I did feel that Ozil was part of that. And I did feel better when Mkhitaryan came in. So that's the fan talking. I felt we had more energy. I felt we had more ability to sprint mm. to the ball. And I felt we had, when the ball came to his feet, I felt we had multiple ways to move it. We could either run it out or pass it out. Yeah, I agree with that. And so, and, and, and so I don't, I haven't looked at Mkhitaryan's numbers. I don't need to. It's just how I felt when he was on the pitch. And now I'm thinking about the final team. And I'm thinking, he needs to start. Right? I know there are issues yeah, around I, that. I, that's I, don't, I don't think he was good in this game, between me and you. And I don't think he's been good for yeah. a really long time. And I think what Ozil did in a period when the game was in the balance compared against what Mkhitaryan did when Valencia needed four goals or whatever it was is kind of an unfair false equivalency because Mkhitaryan was also very sloppy. He had one counterattack where, again, just like against Brighton, easy little pass out to the wing that he shorted and and it put us under pressure going back the other way. I, you know, I, I liked the player. I thought he was so influential during the period where we made that huge comeback in whatever it was. Was it March um, and late February? But like, He's been poor lately, and I don't trust him to give us any control in the game. And and that's what Ozil did during the period when the game was still in the balance. He got on the ball and he gave us control. Um, that's just my opinion. Let, let me give Paul just a shot to, to chime in, sort of um, add and enlarge this point and maybe add some some curse words and, and weird analogies. So, Paul, you, you got anything on that front? Yeah, I do. Um, <laughs> no, So I feel pretty bad for Ozil at the moment because I genuinely sense he's trying He's trying to do whatever he can do. And I agree with your analysis that he was actually pretty important in key stages of this game. But what I notice when I look at his touch map and I look at Chaka's, uh, going back to why were we so open? Obviously, Ozil is not the most physical without the ball. But so many of his touches are on the left wing. And you look at Chaka's touches... And he's massive, like right up against the touchline, he has half of his, on the left-hand side, he has half his touches. That leaves a hell of a lot of pitch for Terraria to cover. And he's covering the side with, side with Maitland-Niles, who's not great on one-on-ones, and still learning the ropes against 
quick, speedy wingers, which always surprises me a bit, just because the one thing you would be you would think he would do better on is kind of shielding against fast wingers. But he does he does struggle in those one on ones. So it, it begins to explain how they're kind of pulling around us around the place, especially as you say with Chaka playing so many. I mean, it's very clear in this match. It's that Cockland dynamic of shoving. Uh, our most DM-like player up the field to do whatever he can do and kind of create actions and stuff. And it doesn't seem to be suiting him. And I just think there's an imbalance there that goes at least part ways to explaining why a back five with Chak and Torreira uh, sitting in front of it is having so much difficulty uh, stemming the flow of the game. Yeah, so I feel bad point. for... Yeah, I feel bad for Ozo. Uh, but when you combine that with with Chaka and the two of them, they just head for that left wing to to ping balls around or to knock passes around. It leaves three quarters of the pitch to be covered by Torreira. Then the other thing uh, Clive mentioned was, <clears throat> excuse me, on Aubameyang chasing back. But have a look at um, uh, Lacazette doing exactly the same on the other wing. Um, so back to best game those two guys have played for us. I mean. They had a great game going both ways, as I think everybody with eyes could see. And then you and I had a little chat on uh, the was it the uh, the final goal, the third of Aubameyang's goals, when he gives gives the eyes to look looking across the penalty box, looking for Lacazette again. So he bangs that thing into the roof of the net, but his first look effectively was giving giving the eyes because he was looking for Lacazette who wasn't there. So he says, fuck it, I'm going to bang it into the top of the net. And they just played for each other well, for the team all game. <laughs> it, it's funny. I totally agree with you, but it is funny because I do think when Lacazette has the ball at his feet in the box, no one else is getting it. Aubameyang's yeah. mentality seems to be, I'm going to get it to my buddy. Um, so I was glad to see him take that that shot to get his hat trick because he finally was like, fuck it, yeah. I'll do it myself. Um, you know, it's interesting too. You look at like a guy like Ozil and your first goal comes from route one football. Your second goal comes from the wing. Uh, I, I mean, sorry, your second goal for Lacazette, the Lacazette goal comes from uh, a turnover that's caused by pressure up front. Your third goal comes from the wing, right? From Maitland-Niles beating a guy in one-on-one and putting it into Aubameyang. What do you need a 10 for? Right? <laughs> what are you, you going to do it with him? It feels a bit that way. And, and you don't see him connecting with Lacazette and Aubameyang nearly at the volume you would expect him to do. I mean, you'd think, oh, that'll be fucking great. He, he's got two different kinds of, you know, he, he does actually link quite well with Lacazette because they're both quick, technical, clever little players, clever in space. And you see them sometimes kind of in the same pocket, pinging it back and forward and enjoying that. And you would think he'd love a Bamiyang running through, uh, but it's kind of Mickey who has that, that number dialed in. And while I accept that Mickey had a, did have another one of his passes that left us open. I actually, uh, I'd be with Clive. I thought he actually had a fairly good game in this one, but I won't, I won't argue it to, uh, yeah, to like, stand, yeah. So. Jump, jump in, Clive. That, yeah, please. Yeah, I, Paul makes great points here. I've just seen the influence. It's a rarity on, when it happens. It's on, nice on, uh, on, on stats zone, but we, we're saying the same thing in slightly different ways. I think Özil, what he does is he he plays his game that he feels, so he could see the overloads on the left hand side. So he went and joined them. And then try to get some continuity over there. So you read that as calming us down. And that could well be, you know, a tactic to overload on one side. Much like we leave Bellerin on his own on the right-hand side to cover the whole right-hand side. We're now doing it to make the nulls, right? So he's covering the whole right-hand side. And they picked on that and I had to diagonal all day long in that piece. I'm of the opinion, and this may be the scared fan, that, you know, he needs to play the game that we require, not his game that he feels he wants to do to add some continuity where we already have numbers. He should maybe look at the balance of the team and think, well, actually, we've got that side covered. Shaka's there. Can I help cover on the right-hand side and connect to the value Because that's what the team needs. And I can maybe offer a little bit of protection. They won't pee into that space because I'll be standing in it. Right? So maybe that's the coach in me. Maybe I don't understand the tactics that everybody wanted to play. But I come back to the point, you, you sort of both alluded to it, and I and I phrased it, I think we're developing away from him. And you're saying it, Edith, there is, is there a need? The, the way we combine, the way we create high-quality chances, if not a lot of chances, generally come from turnovers or balls in wide areas. 
and Ozil's not involved. And hence, I think I saw a post from Andrew saying since he signed his contract in 2018 in January, he's had four assists. So we are developing away from that player. So you ask yourself, is he offering enough continuity, control? Is he offering enough goal scoring and assists? And then you have a question to ask. It's not a criticism, it's just a fact of football. You know, we developed away from El Nenny. When he came in, instead of Flamney, I was over the moon. Now, I don't want to see him again. We've gone past him. Do you see what I mean? We don't need Renduzzi's coming in, Shaka's there. We don't need another slow runner. So El Nenny will leave. The team moves on. I think we're moving on past Ozil and potentially even Mikatai. So we'll see what happens in the summer. Yeah. And maybe counter to that, and there's probably a bunch of people chomping at the bit saying, but with a player of Ozil's quality, you know, you set up to use his abilities. Um, and while I agree with that, the problem is half of the games he doesn't impress himself on. And even if the, the game isn't suited to, ideally suited to Ozil, for example, maybe this game wasn't ideally suited to Ozil, you can think of a whole bunch of shit he could have done in this game additionally that are within his skill set. They're not the most physical team, even if they were playing at home and there was a lot of pressure and they were certainly charging in. But compared to the Premier League, this was not the most physical tie. In fact, they were doing a lot of the attacking, so we had our off-the-ball moments. He should... I, I love the guy. I'm just praying it'll kick in, though. Though when you read the cards, you can't truly see a happy ending for Ozil and Arsenal. But... I mean, man, uh, I do think he's trying, and I just don't understand why a guy with he's quick, uh, he's incredibly uh, visionary in terms of the play and anticipatory, and he's superb with the ball at his feet, superb passer. I still don't quite understand how a guy who, to me, is when who passes the eye test for he is actually trying to make something happen here can't impact a game more and put more of his presence on it. I know he's subtle and mysterious and all that shit and a whisk. (laughs) You might want that if you're looking for someone to go on a date with, but maybe not your 350,000 a week number 10. And I would absolutely love to go on a date with Ozil. And I can tell you, we'd end up at my place afterwards. I I think you'd much prefer to go to his place, but that's just a guess. Um, (laughs) He'd be like, what is this shit? He sure would. Um, So look, I, I want to take a break, and, and then I want to celebrate. I want to celebrate getting to a final, what it means, what we um, hope will happen in the final. Obviously, win it will be the answer, but like what, what we're expecting, that, that we've drawn Chelsea, what this means for our season. We can do we can do a whole segment on celebrating and all that. I, I was so delighted to see Aubameyang have the big moment here. He's had some critical misses this season that have led people to feel unsure about him. He has 29 goals. Um, you know... Would we feel better if it was 30 and he had scored that penalty against Spurs? Let's not go there. But yeah, of course. I mean, some of the big misses are crucial, but like he still has 29 goals because he's in so many fucking goal-scoring positions. That goal he scores from the Maitland-Niles cross, that's world-class center-forward play. He starts on the left side of the box in the channel. He sees Maitland-Niles beat his man and makes an incredibly bursty run to the near post to get on to the end of that. Few strikers have the movement and the pace to get there and then get the tap and finish, and he does it. Um, you know, and the thing about Obama Yang, sorry, is he's always been like this. I mean, I never watch him that closely, but everybody says that he's always been like this. He's always hit and miss. He's a volume guy. Get, our problem this year is that we haven't got him enough shots. We haven't got ourselves as a team enough shots. But if we can just get the balls into the area. This is what he does. He'll miss one. You'll be like, how the fuck can you miss that? And then he'll bang in a worldie from somewhere else, or he'll just do a, a glorified tap-in that nobody else would have got to, but he just has the vision and the run. So it's all about volume. I, I'd i even question whether he's been out of form. He just hasn't had enough fucking shots, and you know the, the chance curve goes the way it is recently. I mean, if he's out of form, it's only a margin. The guy laughs when he misses weirdo um i don't think it affects him the way other people do it's with him it's pure volume if he has 20 shots he'll score 10 of them yeah look it, it is it is just great to see him do what he's doing and here's my problem i hate the back three i hate it i hate it i hate it i hate it i want to kill it with fire 
I think it's fine and it's working for now and we have to use it. It is not the way forward for a great football team in modern football. And spaces, distances are so important. You know, Ajax, heartbreaking what happened to them, but you watch how well they play. Their distances are immaculate. Cities' distances are always immaculate. The 4-3-3, the 4-2-3-1, you space across the pitch vertically really well. Our vertical spacing eats shit. It does, right? Like, (laughs) Ozil either drops in to pick the ball up from the midfield because they're not able to move it forward, and he's eight miles from the two strikers, or he steps forward to try to be in that pocket of space, and there's eight miles between the midfield and Ozil. Like, it just doesn't work. There's good space out wide, but there's no space in the middle. We can't contest the middle of the pitch. And the biggest thing it does for us is it means when when we're under the cosh, when we just need to protect a lead. You don't protect a lead by defending. You don't protect a lead with your four center your your four your your center backs or your your defenders. You protect a lead with possession, and we can't do that in the back three. We cannot get sixty percent possession in a game when we need it. So, so, so yeah, go ahead. Let me take I mean, well, I mean, I think, sure, fire away, and then we'll take a break because I want to celebrate. This is this should be celebration. Yeah, time. I agree. I agree. Yeah, I think uh, I do think with with the back three players that we have, we we do engage quite well. So sometimes we over engage. I think that causes a problem. I think the wing backs engage too early. I think Monreal engaged. And I think Koscielny engaged on the, on their first goal. I think he he came out of Rodrigo, didn't go through him, went halfway, then couldn't get him back in enough to really block the cross. So what we tend to do is we have people that press in. They press in, win it, and then we transition and play. So there's a formation where you stand, and then there's how you play it. I think we use Monreal very cute in this formation because he literally plays like a fullback slightly Yeah, in. I agree with that. But then, God, and, and, you have a ton of space on your left flank just yeah, begging to be you, exploited with a long ball, and we got a slow-as-shit center back. <laughs> so if you if you go in, you got to take the whole kitchen sink, right? You got to leave everything on him. You don't go in, particularly bum, and then walk away, right? You got to go straight nice. through. You got to go straight through. You got to go. You got to tear through him. You really have. You got to leave some ankles damaged, right? And that's where we. I didn't think we were quite aggressive enough. We were truly. We were playing the game. We don't want to be getting players booked. We just want to be, you know, fake intensity. But don't forget, we were, we had the goals ahead, so we started the game a little bit like that. And then when the game became a real battle, then I think, I think we rose into the game when it became a real game. You know, I think we developed much more intensity. We were much tighter, much better closing down. I, I know you, I, I know you don't like the formation. My ideal formation is a 4 3 3. Yeah, agreed. But my, mm-hmm. my, my feeling is we don't have the players. We for don't it. have the players. <laughs> no, we don't. Or for this, for this team, the transitional formation is 4 Diamond 2. That's the next formation for this team. And then while we have these two strikers in their peak years, we've got to go four diamond two. And then, and that hopefully we can move towards that next year before we reach that elite formation, which, um, City and Liverpool play and most of, you know, Barcelona play and most of the top teams play the four three three, as did PSG play under Emery when he was there, right? So I think that's where I'd love to see Arsenal be. So this year, we've got the three house star hotels at the back and, a couple of injured defenders out for a year. This works because we've got some dead bodies back there, either too old or or hand grenades waiting to explode. And then this works for now. Then hopefully we go to a much more consistent back four with a diamond and then, you know, solidify centre midfield, make sure we play one behind two strikers, and then we develop into a more elite formation year after that. That's how well I said. see the future going. Did I mention we're, we're in a... Yeah, please. Yeah. Um, it'll take me 15 seconds. How many There's words? Five of them. Uh, seven. seven. Uh, Emery's never been a back three guy, so he'll want to get away from this as quick as yeah, he can. Yeah, he didn't start there the season go. with it. I agree. No, that, that that's absolutely spot on. Look... We're in a cup final. Let's talk about that. Let's celebrate that. I, you know, it couldn't couldn't have gone better. Obama Yang's been the guy I loved all season. I love that he dragged us through this game and and ultimately seven goals from your strikers, finishing with there is there anything sexier than a roofed finish? I, there is there's nothing. Se- all right, you know what? The only thing sexier than a roof finish that I can think of is your partner wearing enclosed lingerie. We're gonna sell you some lingerie. We're gonna take a break. Come back after this. Stay with us. Okay, everyone, it's time to tell you about our friends at Enclosed Lingerie. You can find them online at The Enclosed, the E N C L O S E D dot com. Enclosed Lingerie is a Lingerie of the Month club. That's right, just like a Beer of the Month club, only better. 
because it's a high-end luxury lingerie gift for you and your partner that's going to enhance the intimacy in your relationship. Right now, if you put in Arsenal at checkout, they're going to give you $35 off any gift from Enclosed Lingerie. So you're going to want to go to theenclosed.com and sign up now. What better way to celebrate the romance in your relationship than celebrating with a gift from The Enclosed? And the gifts keep coming every month. So while it can be difficult to remember to keep the romance, to keep the intimacy in your relationship, The Enclosed has your back. Every month you're going to get that high-end luxury lingerie gift, and it's going to remind you of the importance of romance in your relationship. So do it now. Go to theenclosed.com. There is a perfect fit guarantee, so you never have to worry about the fit. It's beautiful high-end luxury lingerie. Just go to theenclosed.com and enter promo code ARSENAL for $35 off at checkout. Do it now. And we're back. And now that we're all feeling sexy, we can all celebrate. And sexiness and celebration go hand in hand when you're talking about a cup final. And we've got a cup final. Another chance to end the season, admittedly disappointed domestically, on a high note. With a huge, euphoric finish. Um, You know, and I can think of no better way to go into the summer than with, you know, us hoisting a a trophy that also brings with it the promise of Champions League next season. Um... But it just reminds you, you know, those FA Cups came in seasons that were disappointing in so many ways, but we left those seasons feeling so incredible about Arsenal. And ironically, the last time that happened, uh, it was by beating Chelsea in the final game. We have a chance to make that happen again. Paul, how important for the club, for the fans, and for the future is this final? Yeah, listen, you know, nothing sexier than a roof finish. You should see what I left all over the ceiling when the disclosed package showed up. Enclosed. At least get the sponsor's name right. Thank you. Keep going. Enclosed. And the rivals, they're going head to head with disclosed. Um, So, yeah, no, this this, uh, Europa League final is huge. Um, there's there are two universes: the one where you're in that final, and the one where you're not. And if you're not in it, hey, it's not that big a deal. It's only the Europa League. But if you're in it and you win it, I mean, it's huge for the club, and you've got a European trophy, and you absolve all f- sins for the for the year. You change the mood music for everything going forward. You got more money as a club. You're Champions League club. Um, you can sign players based on Champions League. Um, you, you know, you have that uh, feel-good feeling around the club. It just, it'll be, I think it could be an utterly sea-change moment for the club, for this squad, uh, and for this manager if we can win this. And I think the reasons are all obvious. Anybody who doesn't see that needs to think just a teeny bit harder. For another club, maybe not that big a deal if if they're already in the Champions League or... If it's a one-time thing, then it will be a great off one-time. You know, if you're a, a mid-league team, then it's a great cup final, but not much more for you. But this could be a, another springboard for the the post-Wenger era if we can move this forward for, I think, all the reasons we know why. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Look, I don't necessarily agree that it it erases all the sins of a season. I don't even know if it erases or changes the calculus around how you feel about your manager going forward because ultimately you want to be a league team, not a cup team. But what we can agree on is this manager came in with one remit, get us back in the Champions League by hook or by crook. One of the reasons he was hired had to have been his history of success in this competition. And here he is on the brink. And it doesn't get any tougher than Chelsea. Now, Chelsea are not a great team, but you know, by the standards of this competition, it's about as tough as you can ask for. Uh, they made hard work of it trying to get there, but they are there. So, Clive, l- let's take this piece by piece. I mean, first of all, how excited are you by the Europa League final? Is there any any bit of you that has any hesitation about it because of its sort of second-rate stature, or do you feel as excited about this as you did any of the FA Cups? I'm massively excited about this. Um, we spoke about this before. I mean, I- I, I couldn't tell you who's fourth in Germany right now. I couldn't. Um, but everyone will know who's in the finals of the two European competitions. I think it's massive for, for Arsenal. I don't, I don't think, well, I know we haven't got a great record in Europe. You know, as a club, our size, what we've done domestically, our European record over many, many decades is. Right? And so, um, you know, I've been to two or three finals, managed to see one win, a couple of losses. Um, semi-finals 
home semi-finals. We're not great. Losing to Chelsea 2004 was still my lowest moment. Um, shocking. Shocking record in Europe. And in the first season, we now back. If we get through this final and get where we need to get to, for Arsenal Football Club, it is the better route, without a doubt. Um, we may not make as much money. I can almost hear Tim Payton telling me that in, in my ear. We won't make as much money as coming forth because the percentile of the of the share will be less. But for us, to re-establish ourselves at the top table is really important, and especially in the post-Wenger era where our identity was all wrapped into one man. I think if, with all the discussions ongoing around the European Super League, I know we have all the, the numbers to make sure that we're in that league. There's no way we wouldn't be in it. However, it doesn't hurt to get to a final to remind people that we're not dead. I think for other players looking, you know, there'd be 500 million people watching this final. Other players around the world looking at Arsenal, it re-establishes us. I think it's huge. I mean, okay, you guys from, from America, for example, the global fan base gets reconnected, not just the, the North London fan base. I just, I just think it's massive. I really do. I just think it's massive. And I couldn't, I could not have been more excited this week. I was singing in my house, literally singing football songs in my house when those goals were going in. I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for that. Can can you do that on the YouTube live shows for the future? By the way? <laughs> That'd be great. Yeah, we're, we're on our way. We're on our way. And I was singing that the whole, for at least five, 10 minutes. I was absolutely delighted well, because we ne- we needed this poster. Especially you don't post want to be a fly on my ceiling. All right, you know what? Hang on. L- look, let's let's all just be happy that the only person on his way is Tim because from his description of how to get there, none of us want to be on our way because Baku is not an easy place to get to. Paul, we have to lose you a little early, which I'm sure will break everyone's hearts listening. But before we do lose you, how about your uh, your final thoughts? Yeah, listen, I think the other thing that amplifies this uh, Europa League final is – uh, there's going to be a lot of focus on it that there wouldn't have been if it was just two other teams, but it's two more English teams. So it's going to be four teams, four top English teams in two finals. It's going to get a lot more play. Um, and, you know, you want to come out of this as one of the two winners. And then you got this, what's it called, the Super Cup uh, between the, the Champions League and the Europa League winners. Are they even having a Champions League final this year, though? I'm not aware of it. Uh, okay. Um, well, We'll be playing Liverpool, and that's even more buzz. So, you know, that's a nice build that's on top of just any other Europa League final. So I think this could be a big deal if we can make it happen. Paul, do you have two seconds before we say goodbye to you? Bye-bye. Do you you have two seconds before we say goodbye? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to hate me for asking it. It's a would-you-rather question. Are you ready? Would you rather... Liverpool and Chelsea win their cup finals or Spurs and Arsenal? Holy fuck, that is terrible. Uh, oh, Jesus Christ. That is the worst fucking question ever. Look, my my tendency will be, but I'd sooner have my fingernails pulled out, that you got to focus on yourself and your own club and move forward, and you can't be so fucking uh, fixated by looking across the fence that you diminish yourself and your club and your progress by worrying about what somebody else does. We've got to worry about where we're at in two, three, five, and ten years' time when we've got to move forward and Europa League moves us forward. Unfortunately, it also yeah. moves them forward in your scenario. I, so, I mean, it's excruciating. There's no good answer, but that's I'm going with we win the Europa League. I buy your rationale, and I like that you were able to answer it without saying the other thing happening. Uh, but with us understanding what you meant. Pause on Twitter. Pause on my pants. Thanks, pause. Woohoo! Okay, Clive, it's you and me. And I'm not going to let you get another word in until you answer that very difficult question. Which one do you choose? Yeah, I go with I go with Paul um, on that one. It, hey, look, we'd have to we'd have to wear it for the rest of our natural lives. But um, if we want to get back to that to where we should be, this is an important step, and uh, I think we. We have to get it, and also uh, I think I, I think it's very important for the manager as well. We seem to have changed the game on him. I think at the start of the season it was like okay, one two years back into the Champions League. Now it seems to be you got this year, mate. You got to be there this year. So suddenly he really needs this now. And um, I thought it was a two year game, but it seems to be one year game now. Yeah, it doesn't matter. He, I'm sacking him regardless. But um, yeah, he so, needs it for to build up trust with people who are waving on him. They're looking at our shots. 
for numbers, or looking at our shots against numbers, and said he hasn't changed anything. We haven't improved. And I'm looking at it thinking, I have a slightly different view. I think it's a much more holistic question. And um, But it doesn't matter what, what, what we both think. In the end, people need to see a body of work that they can recognize before they trust. Yeah. And I think it's very important that he wins so he gains trust with more fans. I think he gained some more trust last night in that game. I really do. I think the way he set us up, the way we played, the way the players responded to him, showed me a lot, you know, and I think what he's had to deal with, I, I, I'm, I am supportive while recognising that no one is perfect, but the club, my goodness, is not in a perfect shape. It's a mess. It's uh, such yeah, a mess, but let's not, not get into it right now. We've got a lot of uh, yeah. post-season podcasts where we can complain about Raul and yeah. and all the other things going on behind the scenes or not going on behind the scenes. Uh, uh, you should listen to Tim's discussion about Adu, by the way. It's fantastic. I'm going to say this. I'm inclined to choose the Arsenal win their cup and Spurs win their cup option because I believe that putting yourself in the feeling of losing this cup final to Chelsea, would you really want to feel that pain for anything? Would you really want to have to be in the Europa League again next season when we're so close, we can move our club forward? Having said that, Spurs will never win the Champions League again in their history, ever. They will not. They will never do it. This is it. This is the one chance in the history of their club to achieve this. And if they do it, there's going to be a star over that fucking chicken forever. Um, I don't know that keeping that chicken from having starlight on its forehead isn't worth our misery in the short term. Could I die a happy man knowing Spurs never won the Champions League? And especially given that we've not won it either, and we, fuck, we may never win it if we're even ever in it again. Um, yeah, that that might help. I mean... I don't know. All I do know is United fans have to be fucking miserable and that should make all of us happy because they are the only English club not in a cup final right now. I mean, every English club is in a cup final, but United. It's fucking hilarious and I love it. And, um, and they've, got, they've got massive problems. Oh, they're well. such a mess. They're, way, they're maybe worse way, than us. They're just a way, bigger spending are, disaster. Yeah. And Chelsea, Chelsea have lucked their way to a top three, top four position. They're not in a great state. Well, they, they have a transfer ban. They... they may be losing Hazard. I mean, so, so the, the, that's the other point. If we can get into Champions League and even have a half-decent summer, if Chelsea really don't get a stay of their transfer ban, and if United continue to be a fucking dumpster fire, and if Pochettino leaves Spurs, I mean, suddenly you see a way back for us to consolidate a position into the top four that we can build a platform from, and it starts with this cup final. Let's talk about the cup final briefly. Um, yeah. uh, so, Clive, first of all, real quick. Can I sack Unai Emery at full time of the Burnley game if he uses any first team players? It doesn't matter. Like, he has to play we, kids. He has he to play the kids. He don't play till the 29th well, of all right, May. So, so, so what if Oba does a hamstring? Okay. Well, I wouldn't play him. I wouldn't play <laughs> okay. the two forwards. Okay. Maybe, okay. Right? What if Lacazette so, does a hamstring? Yeah, I wouldn't play. Maybe I what wouldn't. What if Koscielny breaks but, an ankle? What, what well, if Socrates Kish- does a hamstring? The more you name the guys, the, you can't do it. Yeah, well, Socrates and Mustafi, they, they could play quite easily. Um, I, I do see a point with players like Koscielny. I mean, Koscielny didn't look great last night, to He be can't honest. run! <laughs> He's really, he needs to go to a health farm big time, right, and have a good stretch. Um, in, so, the United, in the United States, we have an expression for when you put your dog down. You tell your kids they went to live in a farm upstate. I think Koscielny is pretty close to going to live on a farm upstate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not, he's never... <laughs> He is a player built on mobility and sharpness and speed, and he he uses it sparingly. That's all I'm going to say. But some of those clearances in the box, he was lift, lifting his leg up really slowly, and um, so he's on the edge. So, but he'll be completely different with two weeks rest. He'll be completely different, much more dynamic. So that'll be important. So yeah, there'll be a few people missing, right? But anyway, it doesn't matter. This game's gone now. I'd like to. I would like to finish in fifth. I don't want to finish in sixth again because that would show. You know, no improvement at all. You know, and I think it will. It, I think we deserve to finish in that fifth position. So, hopefully, we take the game seriously enough to get something out of it. So we finish in fifth. But we all know what really counts, right? This is as big as it gets because we've been in finals before, cup finals, and maybe the 2014 cup final, the whole city one, was massive because we, the whole world was taking the Mickey out of us for our trophy drought. So that felt really big. Um, in hindsight, once we won it. Um, but this game now, this is it. 
this is the biggest cup final since Paris for me. And um, and so much is on it. And uh, I just can't wait. I can't wait for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I am super excited. I'm also super terrified. I mean, it, it right? It's the beating Chelsea in a cup final is a great feeling. Losing to Chelsea in a cup final, which we did experience in the Cap, uh, Carabao Cup, Capital One Cup. At the, was it Capital One at that time or was it? Carling, Carlin Cup. That's yeah, what it was. A long it was time Carlin ago, Cup. When the kids lost, lost the and we got in the fight at the end, and it, yeah, it was no fun. Um, this has to happen. I mean, how do you feel about our matchup with them? I feel that of the teams in the top six, this is the team we've matched up with the best this season. Yeah, I, I'd agree with you there. I think if I'm watching the the last half hour of the Frankfurt game, I'm looking at some of those Frankfurt monsters that they had on that pitch. And I'm thinking, Crikey, they look they look hungry. They had Chelsea beaten in extra time, to be honest. They were running all over them. I'm, I was actually started to started to cheer for Chelsea because I thought I just feel they've got. And I don't want to jinx anything now, but I just feel if you've reached your target, and I think it's there's going to be a five percentile that of motivation that you will lack, right? Obviously, everyone wants to win cup finals, but no one's going to want to win it more than Arsenal, right? So I think that will help. And that could manifest itself in two ways. Chelsea could be nice and relaxed and just play their game, knowing that there's not much on it for them apart from losing a big game in front of the, part of the, the Western world. But for Arsenal, it's it's a big step to shave a year off our rebuilding plan, give us more budget for next year, and we all know what it could mean. And I do see, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm positive about some of the signs of rebuilding, but really, I'm really excited for the summer to see what sort of club we are. There are rumours of us looking at younger players, looking at us a far more intelligent recruitment strategy. I'm not sure if it's European competition dependent, but it wouldn't help to have more money in the bank to execute it. Um, and more importantly, we've seen the start of some unity among, in the club this year. Um, we've lost a few key people from that backroom staff. We've seen a few players potentially playing themselves out of the club. We know we need a big recruitment drive. This just helps accelerate where we want to get to. And there's, you know, in the modern game today, there is not a lot of patience. So if we can shave a year off that, that'd be great. I tell you what, Elliot, I, I, the more I think about it, this is probably even, okay, to win the European Cup final, at that time, we were quite, comfortable with our stature and status in the game. We had one of the world's best forwards in our team. We had Cesc Fabregas, a, a world-class midfielder emerging. And we went to play Barcelona, and I firmly believe we'd have beaten them with 11 men. And now we're not playing that team anymore. We haven't played them for a few years. We used to play them every year. But let's get back there. It's really important we establish ourselves. And I think this is as big as that for the... Uh, the reinstatement of the club at the top ten, without a doubt. Yeah, and I'm I'm looking forward to this. I, it's don't get me wrong. We could lose this game. We have been playing very, very, very bad football, and despite what we've done in the Europa League, you can still see the flaws. We could have been two goals down in the first leg against Valencia. Um, they had a, a shot from one yard out, go over the bar. We could have been two goals down in Valencia. They had a shot that was, I think, going in, deflected out by their own player. But we do have the two best strikers in the tie. Um, you know, yeah. Chelsea's weakness is scoring goals. They don't score goals. They just don't. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I think they're both they're both flawed teams, but massively flawed teams. But I think our flaws are we we we've got a chance of addressing them for the first time. I think they've become so apparent. But I, I have to say, there were some big positives last night, particularly with the two strikers and how they took charge of that game. They took us, they literally lifted us, lifted this club to a new level. They literally did that. Um, I, I thought they were both absolutely world class. And to come away from a game, looking at a couple of your players just emerge right in front of you when it counts, not against Huddersfield at home, you're scoring the fourth goal in a 4 0, and everyone's watching on match of the we, day. We call that the no. Giroud special. Yeah, uh, when it counts. One nil away. They're one goal away from, you know, the stands just falling on your head. And then they just say, nah, you, you're not, not today, son, not today. And um, they just took over. And, uh, and it was just brilliant to see them do that. And I think it would give so much confidence to other players who maybe not really extended themselves as much as they should do. I thought there were two players that looked at 
reasons to do more for the club and themselves rather than find reasons to derail like we did versus Palace and, and Brighton. Mm. And, and I think one of the most important things that we have to reset in this club is our mentality in big moments. And we did that. We've done that continuously in, in the Europa League. And it's something I think Spurs have really focused on. They've almost not, they're focused on their points accumulation, but they've really focused on their mentality because they, they waited for that moment. They've continually failed in semi-finals and finally have got over the hump. That's where they're focused on. And they and they're obviously, they've managed to get their way to the final. And yes, it's been a little bit lucky, but they've got their way to the final. And I think what we showed last night was an improved mentality led by our two strikers. And I'm hoping that's the start of the changing culture for Arsenal. And that can only be achieved if you win that final. That's why it's a massive, massive game, in my opinion. Yeah, well, we'll we'll, we'll see what happens. I, I'll tell you this much. I mean, first of all, I think it'll be interesting to see what Chelsea do at left back if they play Marcus Alonso or Emerson. Um, they played yeah. Emerson against Frankfurt in both legs. Marcus Alonso can't defend. And if he plays, Maitland-Niles becomes one of the most important players in the tie. He really does. Um, he does. That, that right-hand channel for us is going to be really important. If you're watching this, that video of last night, you're going to be, guess what you're going to do? You're going to stick Hazard in there. You're going to f- overload on that side, and you're going to try to attack on that side. And it'll be interesting to see what um, Emery does to um, to kill that, because I think we've got them up top. I think we can maybe protect our box, but that channel is going to be a challenge for us, definitely. Yep. Yeah, well, we'll see. I, I mean, ultimately, the, we have the best strikers, and the best strikers often win games and win ties and win cups, and my hope is that is what will happen. Uh, it's going to be interesting because the two ends of the pitch couldn't be more different. You have a clear advantage uh, at striker with with uh, Lacazette and Aubameyang, but at the other end of the pitch, you've got the goalkeeper question. I want to end on this just really quickly. Petr Cech posted a tweet that some people interpreted Lewis Ambrose on Twitter. <laughs> uh, he had a good tweet about it. So Check posted a picture, and it was like Hazard, Lacazette, and him in between the two of them in red and blue circles, and it's like it was destiny. Um, and <laughs> Lewis was like, it's not a testimonial, mate. We have to win the game. Like I did see that. <laughs> I didn't love that. I got to level with you. Like, yeah, this is not your testimonial. Your, like, career swan song as you play for your two different teams. Like, do you have any any issue or concern at all. I, I didn't think Czech was awesome in this game. Um, we kicked long a lot. He's kicked long a lot in both legs and the balls come right back at us. I think he completed like three long balls the entire series, something like that, the entire tie. So what what's your thought on the goalkeeping situation for the final? I, I think it's, we're in a major, we've got a major issue. Right? I don't think it's an issue for the club because I think they've already made the decision. But from a footballing standpoint, I can't impress upon you enough how important the goalkeeper is in modern game. Um, it, it's just, and everything we do, a lot of what we do, we go back to Leno quite a lot. Uh, he's become an outfield player for us and we use him that way. And he's got, he's got layers of passing which Czech hasn't got. They were chasing him down in the game. They've obviously targeted him. He was having to do the hurry up and clear it. I'm sure Chelsea are going to target him. He's not as nimble as he once was on his feet. He's looking a little bit aged. He's flying across that goal, looking a little bit heavier than he used to look. And it's a problem. But from a moral point of view, we have to do the right thing. However, nobody is saying, nobody out there listening to the podcast thinks we are better by having Czech rather than Leno in our goal. And with everything that's at stake, there is a legitimate question to be asked. I, I think this is Arsenal Football Club, the way we treat people. Um, is we, There's no way that Czech won't play. I remember being at the cup final, I can't remember which one, but I watched, I was sitting in the stands and I watched Chesney walked out. He looked like a male model in his suit before the game. And then I watched, uh, I think it's Fabianski come out after him. It looked like somebody, a drunken uncle at the wedding. I think, well, we can't be playing him. And I think Fabianski played in the end and we won the game, so it didn't really matter. But that's Arsenal, right? Um, it's, we don't care. We'll do the right thing by, by our people. We do the right thing by our players. And that's the reason why many of us support this club. However, 
I will say, <laughs> given what I said earlier about how important this game is, there's a big piece of me wondering, Whoa, if we lose this, there's an issue, and Peter Cech go, ends up in Chelsea's coaching staff. Well, I don't think we'll be clapping him onto the pitch anytime soon in the future, or uh, it'll, it'll really leave a bad taste. But I think Cech professionally enough, and I think he'll he'll do well, and hopefully we'll get the result. And I and I do fancy it. I'm not just saying it. I, I was more worried about Valencia. I think we are set to beat Chelsea. We are not afraid of them. Their inferiority complex is gone. I think we can take them. I don't think they're in, they're more intense than us. Um, I think we've got better strikers. I think our defenders can stop their strikers. This is not Drogba. Um, our defenders can stop their strikers quite easily. This is not Costa. So I think we've got a real chance to come out on top. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, it is interesting, right? It, you talk about how the story of a player can change, and we saw Ramsey's story change over the course of this season. Petr Cech's last game for Arsenal, beating his old team, the team he's going back to, winning a European Cup and sending us to the Champions League. He leaves an unlikely Arsenal hero. He makes a mistake and loses that cup and goes back to coach Chelsea. He leaves an absolute villain of the piece. Like it would be so hard on him, but like his whole legacy, at least for, for our club and maybe even to some extent for Chelsea on the line in yeah. one game. I, I, you know, I wouldn't like to, to be him for you that. Mean, you mentioned Ramsey actually. And it, it, you know, there are games that suit certain players, right? and this is a game that suits him. Oh, he him dominates them. Long. Yeah, they can't handle him. Well, he, There's no he chance he'll be ready, it. right? Like none. It's not even no, been discussed. No, I don't think so. I mean, they talk about two months, right? So, um, but you know, which, which tells you, which is which is the problem. I mean, he pulls these hamstrings not at the start of games. We're not quite warmed up, but he's got a problem there. He's got a significant issue there. No, we know soft- that. But yeah, why doesn't really he take PEDs serious. like everybody else? Like, can't can we just yeah. load him full of PEDs and get him on the pitch? That's not that's not your three weeker grade one. That's a proper hamstring. Put pull. a needle in the muscle. Get it done. Let's go. Come on. Anyway, um, <laughs> all right. Look, we we should leave it there. I'm so excited for this. You know, the Burnley game. Hopefully, a chance to see kids. It will be a bittersweet end to the season. But imagine if we didn't have a cup final to look forward to. It raises a whole spirit. It's just like those FA Cups. You just you have the chance to have the final day of the season be a huge celebration and we just have to hope that Liverpool can win the champions champions league and then everything will be right in the world. And uh, yeah, I, I can't wait. I'm excited. I'm so excited. Good for Arsenal. Good for Aubameyang, player I love. And and I, he's divided opinion a little because of some of the misses. I think the perception of him changed a lot last night too. And hopefully he can really cement that legacy in the final uh, coming up in a couple of weeks. So Clive's on Twitter at ClivePAFC. Thank you, Clive. Thank you very much. If you want more great content, there is content. I can't vouch for whether it's great or not on Patreon. Uh, my instant reaction to this game is up there. Tim's reaction to Edu as a technical director is up there. And then over on YouTube, the pre-match show we did, the video show, you may think, well, what do I want to watch a pre-match show for? You probably don't. I mean, why would you want to watch anything we do? But uh, it does have some really interesting season analysis, like of the whole season that, that Scott did. And I thought he did a really nice job breaking it down statistically. Uh, explaining our Premier League season with charts. There are charts. Um, and there, there are gifts, too, so you don't want to miss that. And anyway, in any event, we, we will be back. We'll be back with a, a post-Burnley podcast for reasons I can't fully explain. Then, season review podcasts will be coming up. Lots of that. We'll be looking ahead to the transfer window. So just because Arsenal season is coming to a close doesn't mean the podcast season is coming to a close. That's year-round. We love you. We appreciate you. And we will talk to you after the ever-important Arsenal 10 Burnley Mill. 